Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What effects can a paranormal environment have on one's physical health? Can Bigfoot and other cryptids be killed even if they are multiversal visitors? What is the nature of the Mandela Effect? Hello and welcome to the 735th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON. 1240 Radio, and our four and a half year, uh, or four and a half year, our tenth year. No, that was year. CBS, but... My, brain, my brain's a little mixed up. I usually never get sugar in my coffee, so now it's it's all sorts of jumbled. So this is our tenth year <laughs> on the air. I'm Ben, and those very questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal and father, Paul. And uh, today we bring you an open line show with the ever-popular Shane Searway, and in her first appearance as our guest co-host on an open line show, our hard-working casting producer, Lori Greer, and uh, who is also a practicing behavioral psychologist. Uh, scientist. We, sorry. Scientist. <laughs> no more peanut butter for you in the morning. No, no, it's a terrible idea. We welcome uh, your calls. The numbers are 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, or 401-766-1240 from anywhere else in the multiverse or wherever it is you hail from. So send emails to paulabehindtheparanormal.com for those. Okay, well, let's dive right into these. Uh, our first one here, Ben, if you would do the honors, is from William, and we do not know where William is from, and it's a question, question regarding an entity. So William from nowhere writes to us, Hi, Paul. As uh, an unusual question, or an unusual question for you, uh, but operating under the assumption of if it's physical, it can touch me. I can touch it. Uh, quote unquote. Do you think it is possible to wound slash kill an entity such as a dog man? In other words, if an entity is physical enough to break branches and leave prints, then it's physical enough to take hits from a firearm. Uh, there may be only uh, one way to know for sure, but I would certainly be interested if you know of any way to bring one down. <laughs> well, well, I haven't done so lately. Uh, I think the question is meant to discover if something is, uh, as we say in our Pennsylvania case, and Shane, you have a lot of experience there too. You have a farming area, it's rural, but there are small woodlots, you've got farms, and there's nowhere for a large population of mammals to hide, particularly large mammals. So th- the working theory uh, not only of ours, but of many people who are into cryptozoologies of these things, and, and the Native Americans as well, and indigenous peoples. These are shapeshifters in the sense that they come back and forth between parallel worlds, across world boundaries, and in physics we've gotten into that in our book and all this sort of thing. But I think that's what was meant to discover. If these are multiversal creatures, if that's true, can they be killed? Um, one of the things that we notice in many paranormal phenomena are the is the the physicality of the experience. So Shane, what say you? Do you think uh, we would never try and, and hurt one of these things? But what, what are your thoughts on what? And, and I'm not just talking Bigfoot, but uh, the the so-called uh, upright canine cryptids, as Linda Godfrey would say. Do you think? What do you think about that? Do you think they could be captured or? Well, we haven't yet, and there's a lot of people trying, so um, there's got to be a reason for that. But I know the thing I saw in Pennsylvania, that seven and a half, eight foot tall, black, hairy thing, just appeared um, between those tree lines. And when I drove up there, it, it had moved, and it was there was nowhere for really for it to go. Whether it was going to cross out in the the path that I was driving up, or it was going to be in that wide open field, because at that point there was no corn growing. It was you know winter or whatever, or not winter, but it was in early spring, I believe. Yeah, the first was. time we went May, May or whatever, yeah. and um, and there was nothing up there. But I saw this thing, and it flushed three deer out, and it was about seven and a half, eight foot tall, and it just I don't know where it went, you know. So 
um, that's to touch on what you were just saying. Um, and another one of the shows you just did recently too. I think it was um, I was listening back. I think I'm pretty sure it was our show. Um, somebody we had talked about one uh, like an alien being or whatever appearing in their in their bedroom and they they fire upon it. I think it was Kathleen Martin was telling the story. Oh yes, and th- there was a yellow substance found on the ground where she, where this person had shot it. So I mean, um, maybe they can be hurt. You know. Well, that's it. Uh, Laura, you had a question. Yeah, one question that I've always addressed to you. And um, now to Shane is if why are, are do we not spot any more carcasses or remains of some of these um, entities that people may have observed? Yeah, exactly. I mean that's that's a question. That's a question that um, you know I think we all have. You know, uh, but you know then again, I, you go out in the woods. You, you guys hike. Have you ever ran across a carcass of a deer or a bear or a moose? Or, no, they yes. disappear very quickly. Right. So I mean. I, th- I think that's a good way to, to look at it that way, but, um, you know, I... Well, I, I should point out that I was in, in 1989, I was in England running around the southwest looking for the, the beast of Exmoor, okay? Long kind of story. Uh, it, there's no doubt that it existed because the Royal Marines actually had a military exercise uh, to try and find it as, as part of their training. And snipers, Royal Marine and British Army snipers saw this, they couldn't get a clean shot. All right. However, we found hairs, yay long, okay, and we sent them to a uh, to Exeter to a lab, and it came back that, that, that it was uh, from a domestic cat. Now, what domestic cat has hairs this long? Same thing with, with the, uh, the, the Mansfield mystery cat, as they called it, in 1989, uh, when it was around here. So, but there, there is physical evidence with some pretty weird DNA results, but that's about as far as anyone has really gotten. Now, people have found bodies of things. One, one turned out to be a kangaroo. This is in Arkansas. I mean, what the hay is that about? But it wasn't a Bigfoot or anything, and that's not really a cryptid. It's an out-of-place animal, um, as, as they call it. There but, was, um, uh, back, back in the day... I, I think I was talking to Alexander Petikoff about this. When, when yeah, we the were, filmmaker. We're working yeah, we were yeah. we were talking to him about. Uh, I I thought of I, I don't know how it popped in my head, but I remember I remember a very a very long time ago. I was watching a documentary. It was it was on sea serpents specifically, and there was um it was I think it was like the early 1910s. Uh, a bunch of, a bunch of whalers. Uh, they just you know whaled. They had themselves a whale, and uh, they op- they cut open the carcass and this like. This like long sort of like half digested snake sort of popped out, and um, there's a picture of it. Uh, you can see all these all these sailors like li- lined up along the dock, and they're they're holding this like carcass, and you know they put it aside because they're like, oh, we can sell this thing, like you know whatever, disappeared, just gone. No one knows where that, it went. Yeah, that's that's for these things do. There's very little control over these things, and I have to tell you, and this is six years in the Coast Guard talking. Anything that's been in the ocean for any length of time is going to look weird, no matter what it is. So you have to be careful with that as well. That is true. All right. So I think that uh, our answer to uh, to um, William was it William here? I'm sorry. Is that we can? There's no reason to believe that these things cannot be 
harmed physically or interacted with physically, but... I feel like you wouldn't have the wherewithal to actually do it, though. Well, no, and I'm thinking of Shane's experience in Pennsylvania as well, with, with that, that chattering you heard all night long. Oh, yeah. We went to the neighborhood meeting with, like, 20 families the next night, and they said, oh, that, that's how they talk to each other. Everybody in the area knew all about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... It was bizarre. Yeah. So, obviously, uh, any sort of uh, vocal activity is physical, mm-hmm. presumably. So I think uh, the answer might be yes, but uh, qualified yes. I mean, we also had uh, what's his name who was who was hunting Bigfoot as well on. Our we show. did, Mister. It was Lang Langdon or Langston. Uh, who was Langston? Was, yeah, yeah. The the star of hunt of killing Bigfoot. Yeah, and we had a storm of protest before we had the guy on. Uh, so, oh, how can you have that? So, you know, we don't suppress any opinions on this show, and we're not. You know, if anybody has anything to say. I just didn't think his answers were very satisfying. No. They were very very narrow, very limited, and he's determined to shoot a Bigfoot for science. But <laughs> I'm going to kill it for so, science. Yeah. So any other comments before we move on? I'm interested in the, um, this, it's might, this might tie into to all this, but the all the missing persons in the National Forest, you know, they, they, pe- these people, there's tons of clusters, people going missing. Yes. Um, and like one one guy, 245 pounds, football player, six foot five or whatever, Calls his wife and said, "I'm being followed. Something's following me." They found him dead days later. Mm-hmm. Um, kids just disappear, you know, seconds after their parents just had eyes on them. Nowhere to be found, but 18 miles away on top of a cliff that you have to use a helicopter to get to. I mean, there's there's so many of these stories yeah. and what it is, what's doing it, and, and and why. But a lot of time, well, they found one one person flattened, like squashed, like into the ground, like totally flattened. Another person, like. Melted into a uh, a wire fence like wax, like a young boy. Yeah, I didn't all, hear about that. That's bizarre. Yeah, very very bizarre stuff. Um, yeah, Laura, I think sometimes uh, these things maybe aren't so believable because where is the evidence? And now in these days, with all the technology we have, such as uh, you know cell phones or videos or surveillance cam- cam- cameras, you think that you'd see something. Yeah. happening, you know, related to these events. As you can see, Laura keeps our feet on the ground. Yeah. It helps to have a behavioral <laughs> scientist on the staff. The thing I like about the the missing 411 files, you know, with David Polites or whatever, yes. um, is that, you know, he's a retired police officer. He knows what to look for, but he's he's actually talking to people, and, and these are all factual things. These people did go missing under strange circumstances. The, the stories, he's, he's actually going around talking to family members that were there and, and everything, talking to even some of the forest rangers who aren't supposed to talk at all about anything. There, there's real hush-hush hush about the, the missing people in the National Forest. Um, they've denied him access. They said he had to pay like $1.4 million if he wants the list of, of all the names of people that went missing in, the, in all the forests. It's not even legal. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. and and uh, I forget where I was going with that. But he um, well, there are national security issues with some of these things, and people think that it's just the UFO thing that, that they stomp on. We find that any a lot of the cryptid reports and the whole Bigfoot thing, th- there seems to be the government or someone seems to be clamping secrecy upon these things. When uh, Mount St. Helens exploded in 1984, was it? There were all sorts of reports that I heard through the military of National Guard people finding large hairy bodies on the mountain killed in the in, in the eruption of, of the mountain and uh, National Guard helicopters were all over the mountain for two days it was closed off to everything else up to a certain point because they were supposedly removing these bodies I mean that that's what I heard but again as, as Lori points out that's that's not evidence it's hearsay that's true so Plus, well, well, I don't understand one thing that doesn't make sense to me is wh- why would you cover up the existence 
of Bigfoot. I don't quite understand the reasoning for it. It's because, like, well, from a military standpoint, wouldn't we love to know where Bigfoot goes to and comes from if this multiverse thing is correct? The application of that, and uh, military applications of that would be awesome. Awesome. It would just be frightening. Well, that actually is kind of a good point. Especially military that, applications yeah. of paranormal uh, principles and quantum principles as well would be really scary. Imagine appearing to be able to manipulate space and time, coming and going, uh, remote viewing taken to the 10th power. It's, it's really scary from a military standpoint. Wouldn't we love to militarize the paranormal? Yep. I think that that's what this uh, secrecy or whatever it is about. If it is the government, it could be private industry. Imagine the money to be made from this sort of technology. Could it be harnessed? These are all this is all speculation, but there it is. Okay, let's move on to a question from Michelle. Don't know where Michelle is from either. Ah, uh, yes, somewhere in the multiverse, of course. So uh, Michelle writes to us. Uh, I found your article on paranormal effects on people's health a bit of a comfort even if you uh, really have no answers. Comforting because I've been thinking about this for many years. Paranormal activity has been highly active in my daily activities as long as I can remember. Uh, f- so yeah, so it has many uh, symptomatic and, and vague illnesses, autoimmune and hypersonomia and all that good stuff, except it's not good. Uh, <laughs> the, the question of, of whom would be qualified to undertake such a controversial task comes to mind. Holistic medicine, shamanism. I didn't happen to notice uh, how long ago the article was posted, uh, but any direction you have received since uh, would be greatly appreciated. All right, well, for what it's worth, that article is posted on our main website, which most people don't look at. It's newenglandghosts.com. And there are a bunch of articles posted, most of them many years ago. And this, this was simply uh, a call by us to have someone who is qualified in certain medical fields uh, examine things we run into, such as chronic fatigue syndrome that seems to be present in many of these parasite cases because the things literally suck the energy out of you. That's how they eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, things of that kind. Uh, the EM fields that are involved, and, and we've t- the closest we've gotten is some of your research, Shane, into the uh, hallucinogenic, ca- uh, some, some of the hallucinogenic, I suppose, Results of living in an environment full of black mold, things of that kind. Right. And people think they're seeing ghosts, you know. Or maybe they are, but they, I, don't, I don't know. But these it's are auditory, all too. It, it, the black mold makes you hear things that aren't really Sure, there. sure. Hmm. So these are all questions. I mean, does the black mold affect your mind to the point where it thinks it's seeing this? Or is it uh, opening door? I, I don't know. These are all questions, but that's as far as we get. Laura, you're the closest thing we have to a doctor. So. Yes. Um, I think what it need, really needs to be looked at especially when there's uh, two, when there's many different variables. You have to look to see if these events are merely a correlation between the two variables, such as, um, and I gave this example to Paul before, uh, increased TV watching. Often people gain weight due to increased TV watching. Mm-hmm. But is it merely a correlation? Is it a coincidence? Or are there other variables that contribute to, to that as well? And you need to look into all of those, which leads me to um, my next statement, which if you can do some sort of an experiment, uh, change some variables, look at the data, um, take some good information. You can often rule out whether there is other confounding variables, so what's going on. So it really needs to be, I think, evidence-based, trying one thing, looking at the results. If that doesn't work, reversing it, maybe trying something else. One of the issues is getting qualified medical professionals to get working in this field. 
uh, I'm writing about um, I'm writing the first chapter of uh, my my new book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, and it's uh, I'm, I'm diving into a lot of things I don't want to remember about being involved in exorcisms in the 1970s in upstate New York at a state hospital. Uh, the doctors were everything was very hush hush. They didn't want anyone to know that they were involved in this at all. There were only one or two who were, and there are there are all sorts of uh, sort of medical and and professional politics involved and a lot of people don't they would like to get involved but they just don't want to for professional reasons i think this is an opportunity for um the new field of behavior analysts and board certified behavior analysts who could be um could be very helpful in a role in helping people pinpoint the right data to collect and to also give them ways to collect the data and to analyze the data. I don't think initially this needs to go to any kind of medical um, professional or medical, um, you know, medical aspects. Just has to, we have to have good data and take data that is meaningful and someone who could look at those data and analyze it to see what's going on. Well, I think you just found yourself another job on the show here. We'll <laughs> Jake? Was she saying that there was activity? She was experiencing activity? Did I hear that? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, usually when someone's experiencing activity that's negative like that, where there's ill health and stuff, it could be caused by, like you said, electromagnetic fields, but also if there is an entity there beating off of her, making her, her, her weak, um, making her, her, her weak or sick or whatever, yeah. and, and also she's experiencing activity. That's what we there's, noticed. There's always... Um, the, the input that she's she's bringing along, like for instance, the attention to the subject. She, if she's always thinking about it, stuff like that, she's feeding it, she's attracting it but through her her attention. They're telling it, "I'm gonna pay attention to you. I'm gonna interact with you." Yeah. Also, um, yeah. you know, fearing it, um, it, haven't letting it control her internal dialogue. If she's always thinking about it, um, that's always going to be a factor in a case like this. So, yeah. So you need to change your thinking, change your emotional frequency, and and uh, you'll you'll see things getting better. Um, so you can't pay attention to it, can't fear it, and, and can't, um, you know, uh, you got to be a positive thinker. Mm-hmm. And in um, the field of behavior analysis, what we look at is how reinforcement or ignoring or, you know, positive reinforcement versus negative, how that impacts a behavior. Like we all know, you know, if you have a child who is doing something that's not appropriate, you know, what you're supposed to do is maybe ignore that or, you know, start reinforcing other children who are doing things properly. But most often parents will attend to that one child who is doing something naughty. And, of course, they're getting the attention for that. And there's no such thing as good attention versus bad attention. They're getting attention for that. And then what typically happens is that behavior is going to increase. So I think it's similar to what you're talking about, yeah. Shane. That's what I, I would tell love my to see this, th- these principles applied to the behavior of parasites. Yeah, that's Absolutely what the story, amazing. exactly what you were just saying is what I tell a lot of my clients is to make it, help them understand. It's like when you're on the phone with somebody and your child comes up to you and says, Mommy, 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 Daddy, Daddy, that's exactly Daddy. exactly the same thing. If you stop your conversation, let them interrupt, and you, well, honey, you know, then they're going to do it all the time. Whenever they want, they're going to interrupt you. Yep. Um, but if you gesture to them and wait and you finish your phone conversation, they're going to learn to either wait or go play somewhere else, and that's how these entities work mm-hmm. as well. Well, we have a caller, and I believe it is uh, the uh, ever-beloved Donna uh, from Connecticut, who is uh, not only a reporter for our show, but a very, very – in, in uh, what – since 2005, so so 13 years of working on Donna's case, we found out she was a distant cousin. Oh, <laughs> yes. So Donna, welcome back to the show. 
Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Oh, pretty fair. So you were going to give us a report now on your, your long-running uh, case that will never end. And um, <laughs> we're, we're just anxious to hear. And, and you sent me uh, a message last night I did not have a chance to read. So if you want to just update us on what's happening in the, the House, which is the center, in our opinion, of the Litchfield Triangle that we talk so, so about so frequently and that Bill Hall wrote a book about, the uh, Haunted House Diaries. So uh, what's, well, what's, what's cooking in uh, cuckoo land there? Well, it's probably the same thing that's been going on um, frequently and then infrequently. Um, we have closed off seven rooms upstairs because of the cold, and we just moved downstairs for the winter. And it's been empty up there, and yet we hear the doors slamming. And I go up there, and there's the door stoppers up against them, and they're shut tight and everything, but they slam with force. And the usual walking around, and then through Christmas, I heard, uh, repeatedly, I heard a music box playing, um, and get in bed at night, and you'd hear it, and it would, you know, tinkle out a song, and it was a Christmas carol that would, has been playing. Um, I'm actually surprised that we haven't heard a lot more since we've been downstairs in the den, and we're really confined in here. Um, but what I had reported to you was that ball that I saw. Uh, whatever it was, uh, going across the road um, in the area down below where our house sits. Yes. Uh, now, I shared that with some of our gang here. Could you tell everybody about that? Well, the, the road is, I, I'm very nervous about driving on the road when it's windy or not because a tree had fallen on my car and crushed my car. It's a pretty rural area you live in. Right. And um, the road is long and it's dark and you come up along a stretch um through the trees and into the neighborhood, and that's where the street lights start. And we were coming home. It was just just about gotten dark out, a little bit darker. And we were coming home, and um, a ways before you could see the first street light coming up, there's a mountain that comes down from the left, and it meets the road. It's pretty steep up in there. Then there's a pasture and a barn and an old house that a couple lives in. And across the street, there's a couple that lives down, up further down in. There's no houses there. Okay, so, and, so you, were, you were driving at night. Right. Yeah. And I was just coming up, you know, where I could just view the first street light coming up. And all of a sudden, this, this it looked like, like, almost like a pewter, like a dark metallic ball came straight out from the side of the road about, uh, I, I was hard to judge because I was driving, but my street, my headlights were on. But I caught it out of the corner of my eye, and it just came out straight up from the side of the road, did an arc up over the top of my car, and it just flew down in down the hill into the woods toward the pond. And I just, I, did you see that, you know? And my mind, of course, because I'm so used to seeing things, it, it just rapidly went through the, the possibilities, you know? Was it a bird? No, it wasn't a bird. It was, it was moving. It never slowed down. It never hesitated. It, it didn't have any wings on it. It was just a round sphere. Now, and it was when it moving was, at a pretty good clip. If, if I may, may ask, was it glowing at all? I mean, it seemed was no, it difficult it to see in the dark? It wasn't. The, the, headlight, the, the headlights of the side, as they shoot out to the side, they illuminated. You know what I mean? It was like, a, you know, on the side there, they, they shoot out straight, but then they light up the guardrails along the side, too, a little bit. And I just caught it out of the corner of my eyes. It was shooting out, and then it... it came to my vision through the headlights, went arced up over my car, and just, it never hesitated. It didn't flounder, it didn't flop, it didn't move, it did I mean, it didn't, you know, it didn't act like anything except a moving sphere. Okay, anyone? 
I saw the three silver discs uh, last September, and I see smaller ones frequently too, almost like um, like like look, looks like mercury almost. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. This was this was didn't have any shine to it though. It was dull. It was almost like a uh, all I could describe is like a pewter, like a pewter color. You know. Okay. Yeah. And and it just it was solid, and it just the way it was moving, it was it was very smooth moving. And I, I had, had mentioned it to Paul, and he thought possibly, well, maybe, you know, just in the discussion of what it could or couldn't be, maybe kids were throwing or something. But to be perfectly honest, our neighborhood is odd. We have, like, no children here. And um, I know the two houses that are closest to where I saw that have no children at all. Um, I've, noted so I, that, I, I've noted that when I've seen them, um, it's been near power lines or right. water bodies or rivers and streams. Typically. Right. This this came, I don't know if it came down the mountain, but when I saw it, it was right on the edge of the road. And it just shot straight across, up, did an arc over the where my headlights were shining. And it, it just never lost speed, and it went down toward the water. We have a we do have a big pond down there, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, we're going to take our break, bottom of the hour first, and then we'll come, come back with, with uh, Lori's question in just a second. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our special guest co-hosts today, Shane Searway and Lori Greer, on ON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. The ON Radio Valley Breeze 5-in-a-Row Contest is on the air. Find your official 5-in-a-Row game card printed in each week of the Valley Breeze newspapers during March. It's free. But if the breezes are all gone, go to their website at valleybreeze.com and download it there for free. Then listen to ON Radio. You're already doing that. And when you hear us call the name of one of the 25 sponsors, check off their square on the game card. When you've checked off five sponsor squares in a straight line in any direction, call ON Radio immediately at 762-1240 to register your line. The first 10 listeners who register in each week receive an invitation to the five-in-a-row survival game broadcast live on March 31st, where contestants will buzz in their answers to various categories of questions until one contestant is crowned the five-in-a-row survivor and wins the grand prize of $500 cash. Listen, play, win with the ON Radio Valley Breeze 5 in a Row Contest all March long in the Valley Breeze newspapers and here on ON Radio. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal here on ON 1240 in our beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We Before we move on, we have a question from Susan in Westford, Massachusetts. How long was the hair? All right, I guess yay long was not a very uh, accurate. I'll, I'll give you that, Susan. Uh, it, as I recall in my notes, it was approximately very, very, well, actually not precisely, but give or take six and a half inches long, which is very long for a domestic cat. That'd be one heck of an angora. Yeah. All right. So I hope that answers your question. So uh, we. I are think going I think yay long should pr- be approximately six and a half. Inches. Uh, mathematically, <laughs> yeah, there might be some questions. <laughs> yes. So it's evidence based. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, Lori had a question for Donna. Donna, you're still with okay. us, right? Hi, Donna. Hi, it's Lori Greer. How are you? Hi, good. And I'm sure um, others are thinking this question maybe off the air, and I'm sure you've been asked this question. And the question is, did you go down to the pond? I'm not sure how far the pond is away from your road or your house to see if you could find anything the next day. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, it's private property. Um, it's water company property and adjoining homeowner's property, 
Um, you could see down through the trees, and the water had already started to, uh, the ice had already started to melt uh, due to the fact that the rivers go into it up there and it starts melting there first. So I, I wouldn't have, you know, been able to see anything, kind of like that Bantam Lake thing where something had crashed in the water and, you know what I mean? And people couldn't, couldn't Bantam really. Bantam Lake in Connecticut, yeah, that was uh, yes, some yep. sort of celestial um, object. That, yeah, know. people, um, you know, I, I don't. I, I haven't noticed anything. I've looked. I mean, I've looked up the hill and down the hill and, you know, through the areas I drive by slowly, but I, there was, there was nothing. There was no telltale sound, signs the next time I went down. Okay, while so, we have um, you, and uh, we'll have to let you go in a few minutes, Donna, but can you tell us, just review over the years some of the kinds of phenomena that have occurred in your house, some of which we ourselves oh, have witnessed? Oh, gosh. Let me I, go I love back. the horse business i mean the horses galloping up and oh down the yeah the bedroom door being closed and something sniffing at the bottom of it and of course the ever-loving hair stroking and yes. the um the music coming from the cellar and <laughs> i oh gosh i don't know 68 years is a long time a yeah. long time of things to remember here um yeah it, it's just it's been periods of quiet and periods of seems the little pointy thing jumping up between the doors. Um, oh, yeah, we, we love them. Uh, they're sort yeah, of the boxy. I, I there, there aren't even any names for these things. No, I just, that's what we do here. We name them the pointy thing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the old lady, the, the heavy stepper, you know. Um, <laughs> my mother, my mother's sitting in here um, when she was alive watching TV, where our bedroom is now, by the way, and seeing the man's, man walking. He must have been upstairs, but his legs were visible going across the bottom of the ceiling like he was just walking about his own business you know and um different things the, the notes that people left that didn't leave that were on the front you know on the front porch um the the strange phone calls sometimes where it sounded like a, a an old-fashioned maybe a, a whaling vessel or something or maybe newer than that you know having an accident and they're yelling sos and all kinds of just all kinds of things very strange things, you know. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I like the thing that I witnessed uh, the first time I was there, the horse galloping by and there was no horse. You could feel the wind, you could hear the sound, you just couldn't see it. I love that. Yep. Well, Donna, we'll be in touch again very soon, and we're going to be coming over when you oh, that would be great. to check things out and keep up okay. the case. And I love to your family. Okay, you too, Paul. Thank okay. you. All right. Okay, Bye. we have a... Um, well, let's get into the Facebook ones here. This is from Maria. This has been around for a while. Uh, ben, if you would. I don't, we don't know where Maria's from either. Okie dokes. Uh, Maria writes to us, uh, I loved your show about fairies and, uh, with uh, Varla Venture. Ventura. Ah, Ventura. Ventura. My brain. Why? It's in there somewhere. <laughs> I grew up in Puerto Rico, and Paul's story about his experience there in 1984 was one of the few stories I have ever heard about fairies there. Uh, but I think every culture has some uh, big equivalent to fairies, or some being equivalent to fairies. Uh, I heard uh, Le, uh, La Leyenda de la Pierda de, del uh, Piero. My my, my Spanish, Spanish class. I did you actually. French, as I recall. No, I took Spanish for two years in college and French for three. But my language skills leave something to be desired. Um, as, long as, as long as you can speak English. So anyway, there was she. She says uh, there was a dog that that turned into a rock while waiting for his master to return from the sea. In some versions, fairies turned him into a rock. Do you think that fairies could have existed but died out? Uh, but we still have the legends. 
Well, I don't know about Puerto Rico in particular. Uh, my my story of what happened there in 1984 is in our most recent book, Behind the Paranormal, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of. A little bit commercial there. Uh, but it's, it's very, very possible that it, any student of folklore will tell you that every story, no matter how much baggage or rubbish it's picked up over the years, started with some event even a minor one in the human experience that somehow got picked up and passed on and that can happen with stories such as fairies or even jokes or, or little ways to cook chicken these things can all be carrying, carried on in families it's really quite fascinating but there uh, we have a million years at least of unknown empty history that the human race has existed that we, do, we know virtually nothing about all, a thousand civilizations can rise and fall in a million years and all sorts of species could have come and gone in that time. So it's very possible that there was a, uh, a species of humans, very small humans. Uh, we know that the uh, uh, Orang Pendek and some others. Oh, the, yeah. Was it, well, they, they actually, they call it the Hobbit when they discovered it. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, Orang Pendek. Uh, in Southeast that. Asia, yeah. yeah. So uh, there are known species. that The stories could have started about uh, th- that you ended up with things like fairies, but fairies go beyond that. I mean, very often they are nature spirits. They control things in, in some way, even the weather, and you have to be nice to them or they won't clean your house. <laughs> the ones in Puerto Rico, they insisted to me clean their house. Now, Laura, you co-hosted that show with Varla. What were your thoughts on, on the whole fairy thing? Well, now that you're, you're talking about, um, you know, almost like the selection of the species and, and natural selection, you know, possibly that could have played a, a part into it. Yeah, um, you know, as far as whether fairies actually existed, I'd like to believe that they do and they did, but... Yeah. Well, Ben has had made a very good point over the years whenever people wrote in about their fairy experiences that it's the word fairy that invites ridicule and disbelief. Because like you think Tinkerbell. Like. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there might be a perfectly plausible... Uh, explanation behind it, Shane. In your in your work, have you ever run into any people who've seen little tiny people or fairies or things of that kind? No, I've, I've been told uh, by some people in the paranormal field that area, an area that I, I frequent um, mostly years ago, but um, that they've seen a lot of little fairies and also these little tiny grovers they call them. And I've never once grovers, exp- yeah, little grovers that served a big grover like. From the Muppets? Yeah, I don't know what she meant by it. She said little, t- tiny, little, two-foot-high grovers. I- I've run into stories like that, particularly <laughs> North Carolina for some strange And And also fairies up there. But I've been, I've spent countless many hours at this on this location, and I've never experienced any of those things. Yeah. I've experienced plenty of things, but just not those things. The only thing we've run into, and I think you have both seen these pictures, when we were at the Copacat Reservoir in the um, Freetown State Forest in Massachusetts, which is part of the famous Bridgewater Triangle, and we felt like we were being watched, and we just shot blindly around in the woods, and we got th- those those figures with with the the human faces. They look oh, like yes. figures. And the thing, as I say, that, that and I used to do intelligence photography in the military, and so I you know nodding acquaintance with some of this. You don't find flesh tones in nature unless it's certain kind of fungi, and that's what's what what's kind of jumped out at me were these very human kind of flesh tones and things like that. And maybe it was nothing. But you know, people like Jimmy Church have seen these things and fallen out of their chair when they saw Well, there's, the, there's also the herb farm that you yes. took me to when I was a wee lad. Yeah, you're, and, um, before you officially started in this field. Exactly. 
So I remember very specifically, because I think it was like the first time I ever interacted with an aging hippie. So this woman huh. who, she had all these tiny little houses, like she'd like bought them from like um, one of the, one of those like model train sets or whatever, just set them up in like this sort of like very, very nice, like aesthetically pleasing array, like on this little hill. She's like, oh yeah, that's where the fairies live. And I, I thought, well, that's a strange thing to say because, you know, I was a little kid and I was like, I know fairies aren't real. Like... But I, I, I remember she was very adamant about, oh, yeah, 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 I you feed my the son, you didn't stuff. believe in fairies? Come well, on. I mean, you know, I'd, the, only, the only thing I'd ever really thought of, I was a very practical child, Dad. <laughs> yes, you were. I, I was even skeptical of Santa Claus for a while until you convinced me. Well, I convinced you of St. Nicholas, who he exists. That's true. That's yeah. so technically St. Nicholas. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I remember being very skeptical as a child, because I was like, yeah, fairies definitely aren't real, because really all I knew was, like, Fern Gully and, like, Tinkerbell, and that was it. And I was yeah. like, we're not in the Amazon, so I'm pretty sure that there are no fairies here. <laughs> yes, you were an interesting child. I've been... Con- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, please. Oh, it just uh, interesting. I was reading an article last night, and it was about um, a young psychology instructor. This was back in the maybe 1950s. His name is Jack Michael, um, and he's still alive. And he took upon himself to take under his wing two young students who were non-traditional, and they came up with some parameters of ABA, which are still in use today. But one of the comments that they made that I read in this article, and I wrote it down, says the most important breakthrough that they found was that naively simple, immediate things that were, were actually profoundly important in the lives of people. So if, if a person is aware of something and it's important to them, then, then it is something to be looked at and investigated. There it is. Uh, we have a caller. We don't have a caller. We do have a caller. Oh, okay. Well, be specific. Okay. Who, uh, who, hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. Um, Enos and guest. I'm not sure who it is. I'm just, this is Robin from Utah. We've spoken before. Uh, Robin from Utah. Just, yeah. Um, Tom Campbell, uh, the physicist who says we live in a virtual reality. What are your thoughts about that? I know I've had a lot of experience that would almost seem to aim in that direction. I'd just like to know what you think about his premise or theory and where it fits in all of the rest of it. Okay. Does that make sense? I'm not familiar with him. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. I feel like we had this conversation, though, like a few open open lines ago. I, I recall, because I remember saying how I, I came across this uh, this forum on Reddit, Called our real life, which is essentially was a big esoteric joke about how um, essentially life is like a video game. You know, you have certain skills and stuff that you work on or whatever, get points to that and and whatever. So technically, I'd be in like the carpentry guild because I do carpentry, that that kind of stuff. So it's it's a big esoteric joke, but it's it's played off of the philosophy that you know it, we're living in a simulation or a video game of some sort. So for, like, a few weeks, I was, like, really into it, and I was like, wow, this is really depressing. So I came to the conclusion, as did some monks that live out in uh, Egypt did, when they were like, oh, well, why don't you know about the go- this gospel? Why don't you read it? They said, well, why? <laughs> like, it's it's there. We know it exists, but it, is it fruitful? No. Like, we know it's there. Does it matter? Not really. <laughs> well, listen, are, are, are Robert, are you getting into the holographic theory idea? Um, well, I'm very much into the holographic idea. Um, 
The Holographic Universe is one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. I just, uh, with Tom Campbell, with him saying that each of us is just a projection from God, and that's, you know, the whole, uh, what, is it, what do they call that? The Akashic Record. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar but with his work. Okay, it's yeah. just that this, this God thing is just, create, just collecting information through each one of us. Well, and then there was his his associate at the Monroe Institute, um, Bob Monroe, the out of body fame. Yes, yeah. Um, William Buellman, who wrote a really great book, Adventures in the Afterlife, where he says, you know, you're born into your expectations and you go from there. I am more of that side than it's just all a computer simulation. Okay. It doesn't seem to matter to me as long as there's an infinite creator, and I believe there is an infinite creator, and I don't think Tom Campbell does. Okay. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, you yeah, thank you, Robin. We'll, we'll continue the discussion and uh, listen in. Let, let us know what you think. Uh, all right. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Yeah, the, uh, the holographic theory is a legitimate theory in physics, and it essentially says uh, this is some very strange math that led some people to believe this in the way they do. Uh, I think it's the other side of the coin of the multiverse idea, but it's the idea that, that something or someone is literally projecting us as not a literal hologram, but something like that, and that we have a certain amount of control. A lot of people have the, the impression that there's something behind, look at the weird things that happen in life, the strange coincidences, the synchronicities, and uh, I, for one, do not believe in coincidence, but some people do. It all seems to be there's something like pulling strings behind us, and maybe it's our own subconscious minds. I think that that's got something to do with it. But the holographic theory is that someone or something, and my question is, you know, what or who is doing the projecting? Campbell thinks God, whatever that may mean. I mean, there are all sorts of definitions of that. Physicists talk about God now, but it's not what you hear about in church or, learned, or, or, or that I learned about in the seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Other people think uh, some alien civilization is doing the projecting. Um, I've even heard the dark theory that aliens were essentially the, par- the parasites will do this so, so that they, they manipulate us so they can eat. Uh, I find that rather chilling. Uh, but nobody really knows. But the question is, who is doing the projecting? Yeah, my question would be, and why? And why, yeah. yeah. Well, we're probably too much fun to watch yeah. for them to stop. <laughs> that might be, might be one thing. I mean, so, I think, um, I think. Well, personally, my life is pretty boring. So, boring. You all, I think well, you're I mean, a lot you know, of fun com- to watch. Com- comparatively, you know, I'm not like a, like, a, like a star athlete or something. If I'm not like working or like out on a case, I just hang out with my cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't forget your wife and my wife. Yes, <laughs> I think the only reason, like, if, if that was to be the case, if somebody was projecting us and we have some certain amount of control, I think it would. It, it could only be to. Um, for our, our our own spiritual growth, yeah, you know, and to gauge, you know, yeah. Well, Laurie, uh, do you ever run into any of these physical theories? And we've talked about this before in behavioral science, in the sense of uh, the physics of consciousness, which would involve some of these theories. Although we think we have a caller. We do. We have Bill okay. from Franklin with us. Okay, Bill, Bill from Franklin. Now, welcome to the show. Oh, remember, remember, quite a while ago, I was, I was telling you I was taking photos of myself. But at night in the dark, and I was seeing these uh, uh, round globes. Oh, yeah, the orbs type things, yeah. Orbs, yeah. Well, I, I believe I know what they are. It's, my camera was picking up moisture in the air. Oh, yeah, I've had that happen, yeah. Or yeah. snowflakes or dust. Because I did, I did it uh, in a, 
when it was a, when it was a real foggy night, and they were, and they were, and they were, they were all over the place. Yeah, yeah, it happens a lot with the, when you, your flash is on. So if you, if you take even like a throw pillow and you shake it in the air, put your flash on on your phone, take a picture in that direction of where you took that throw pillow and shook it shook it around, you're going to get a bunch of them. Dust will react; it reflects the light. Uh, you know, very close to the lens, appearing as a ball of light. So we have to be real careful when we're taking these types of pictures um, when you can to leave the flash off. Yeah, I'll be yeah. using the flash. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. digital media will interpret what it sees, and it kind of does sometimes. It come out looking like a, a ghost with a face. You know, just you just have to have to, uh, have to be well, careful it, with, with that sort of stuff. When, when, back when we had film, it was much easier to analyze. I yeah. thought. When it was. Uh, it was very, very light snow, and, and I, I took a picture, and, and, and it looked like a, like like heavy snow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we don't need any more of that, do we, Bill? No. no. In Franklin, Massachusetts. Bill, thank you very much for the call. Okay, thank you. Thank okay, you. great. So, d- what are you thinking about all this here, Laura? This is your first open line show, and uh, what do you think about this? Do you ever run into the holographic stuff? That, no, I don't, and don't, don't forget, I typically work with children who have... Bad behaviors. Yes. So, kind of my so you what I do on watch. a daily basis is a a little bit different. But while I have an opportunity to speak, I'm just going to read something that I read last night, and when I was going through some of my behavior analyst uh, journals, and I think you guys might um, take some value in this. And it's talking about the scientific method, which is a method of choice for studying phenomena that results in the highest level of objective believability. So without a basic understanding and appreciation of the tenets of science and scientific inquiry, one is at risk for believing in cause and effect relationships that don't exist and adopting treatments for various concerns that may not, in truth, be effective. Uh, That's very wise. However, you and I have gone round and round about this for years. What constitutes evidence? Does the scientific method, uh, is it good enough anymore Particularly given even even uh, particle physics, things of this kind, and um, how do you control the situation? You know, it's these are all open questions. Um, you're right, I think, but again, you know, as I'm always saying with just about everything, is it good enough? And what I'm always saying back to you is everything. There needs to be data. Everything yes. is driven by the data. So we need to look at the our, data. Okay. We need to, um, you know, to investigate the data. We need to, uh, you know, do experimentation. And there's um, something else that I was going to mention when one of, of the other callers um, was speaking, I think it was Donna, that there's a term in behavior analysis called reactivity. And reactivity is simply the change in one's behavior when they know they're being observed. So if I go in to observe a child in a classroom situation or even an individual in the home, their behavior most likely is not the same as it is if they didn't know that I was observing or when another individual is not in the room. So when Shane was talking about some of his observations before, I was thinking, well, that may be in part of, um, you know, why maybe one individual may observe something and then when you go in to do your um, objective observations, you may not come into contact with those same variables. Yeah, th- th- that's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. The observer affects the outcome simply by observing. And one wh- of the things, yes, Ben. Oh uh, no, continue. I was, oh, I was you were holding up your hand as a very wise uh, statement. Well, oh, I, I I do, but please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I was going to mention the, the whole idea of a piston. You and I go run. 
it's a wonder we're friends because you know we just go around is the, the notion of epistemology which is how we know what we know uh, all the data that we get is interpreted according to our narrow flawed 19th century epistemology and it's the best we have so we have to use it but I think we should look for, for something better and I don't know what it is I comment and I, after, uh, after Ben I'd like to comment Yes. Yeah, sure. So I've 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 mentioned this 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 story before. It's it's a short anecdote. My generation is uh, very annoying. I I know this. Well, we're your parents, so yeah. We <laughs> oh, I I know this for a fact. So I'm I'm just gonna just throw that out there before I continue. So there is a tendency in um, my generation to think, all right, well, what I think is is what's true, and that's it. You're you're can't can't say anything else. So, good friend of mine, smart kid, really, really smart, going for his PhD at Cornell right now in uh, microbiology. Anytime that we talk of anything that has that has any, any more depth than uh, you know this coffee's garbage, it it turns into it turns into a horrible argument. <laughs> so we we were talking because I I I think it was like like just after Easter Sunday or something and one of my other friends asked me a question about about you know my religious beliefs so I was simply saying it and so my buddy who goes to Cornell is a very very devout atheist he was like alright Higgs boson that's it that's we're done talking about this the God part so I, that led me to think as as our relationship sort of grew and our you know and as time went on I started noticing throughout my generation that for some reason, there's this this sort of this sort of attitude about science that it's like, all right, well, whatever 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 is scientific goes. Not to say that science is bad, but it's taken to an extreme, which is if there's some sort of gap in someone's life, they'll take whatever they can find and fill that gap. So, for example, um, let's say uh, uh, right when our, our president was elected, there was that that march in, in uh, Washington, D.C. that says, science will win, or whatever, really? whatever it was. And I was like, what is what is this even about? Like, we all know science exists. <laughs> we wouldn't have half of the innovations or more. one of the marches the Russians organized. I, prob- I don't even know. But, you know, the point being is that there's a, there's a strange relationship people have with with science now, and they're sort of ignoring the scientific method altogether and looking at studies and saying, all right, well, this is law. You know, coffee is good for you, according to one study I read last week. But then that was completely contradicted the next. Oh, <laughs> too bad you read that study. So the, my point being is this, that science is good. We all know this. The scientific method is good. We know this. But there are people in the field, especially through through friendships I have and people I know, that if you say anything that, you know, can be tested and should be tested, they'll instantly say no, because it doesn't fit the narrative. Now... Am I confabulating? Am I misreading signals? Or is is this is this a thing? I don't I don't know really how to respond to that because I need more specifics. But I know the new trend now, and you hear this all over the place. Is everything, and especially in education, needs to be evidence based. Right. So there has to be data. There has to be something showing that something works or does not work. Well, there you have it. What, what, right. Yeah, sure. Right, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, so back when I started my work doing this, doing this work, I have a very thirsty mechanical aptitude. So yeah. I need to understand how everything works. I want to know every layer, every element, um, and every component. So when I did this work, I forgot everything I thought I knew, and and um, I started. 
the, the questions I asked the, the the people, the observations I made in or around the home, and the personalities of the people that are being afflicted. And I started seeing the, the legitimate haunts. There were constant um, connections or, or the similarities. Um, exact, they were identical in, in all situations. There were certain elements present in every single home that was legitimately haunted. So I started manipulating those things, and um, and by doing that, I was able to stop the haunt 100% of the time. So th- there was evidence of, of a haunt. There was witness, multiple witnesses of the haunt, me being one of them in many, many, many cases. I manipulate those things that I discovered, those those um, those similarities in, in each case, manipulate those, and it breaks the haunt. It breaks the connection between the afflicted and the entity. Um, emotional emotions, the emotional state of the of the afflicted, and there's other. But we're running out of time. But uh, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, to be continued the next open line show. Okay, uh, let's start our announcements there, Ben. What's cooking in behind the paranormal? Land? Oh, we got plenty brewing up in the kitchen here. Uh, so plan to meet us May 26th and 27th at the Saucer Symposium at the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire. And there will be some great speakers, including Shane Searway, who is with us today, uh, Andy Kitt, and many others uh, you have heard on this show. And this is our uh, fourth year in a row that we have spoken there. And we'll present some new material from our FLAP area cases. And we'll also do our second annual live broadcast from there on the uh, 27th with a panel panel of speakers. So watch for more information on that as uh, the dates approach. And on Saturday, July 21st, we'll be back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut. They love you there, Ben. They love you. Oh, I know. Uh, To present a program on Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of based on our 2017 book on that same subtitle. That's where we debuted the book for a bunch of children, actually. Uh, last year. Indeed. So on Labor Day weekend in September, we'll be back at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire. And that's uh, uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, of course. On um, uh, Columbus Day weekend in October, we'll once again be at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Now, let's take a moment. Uh, Shane, tell us about where people can find out more about you, uh, your website, etc. Website's truegos.com. Um, and all my contact information is there. And my uh, YouTube channel show um, is, I haven't actually really officially kicked that off yet, but that hopefully I'll be getting, I just got a lot of personal stuff going on, but hopefully we'll be getting that full full. Yeah, do you have so. any kind of ETA on that? Because that, that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks. I yeah. just got a lot of things with my father and, uh, and my my business and everything yeah. uh, that's going on. So uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks I can get my first interview in on you know, there. I have a, a little video in there that um, I'm talking about an okay. area that's active, but um, the first interview should be coming up soon. Okay. Uh, Lori is a woman of mystery. Um, you can maybe just – she's somewhere on our show site. You can check that out. Ben uh, – uh, yes. We're, we're going to be. Uh, Shane also was involved in our production that's going on in America's Stonehenge. We're uh, preparing a major uh, television uh, triumph uh, based on uh, some of our work up there, and so people should stay tuned uh, for that as well. It's. I'm, I'm working on it. Okay. It's good. a work in progress. All right. Okay. We're uh, just about out of time. Uh, we will do our final. What do we got next? Well, I don't know. Just sort of. Well, we don't we have, have anything we have, for the next two weeks. For the next two <laughs> weeks, we have uh, rebroadcast because we have things going on, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Well, what, what are we uh, looking at for a quote today? Well, yeah. we only have we have no time we for have the no quotes. Time. <laughs> anyway, was, I'm, Paul, I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno. I'm Shane Sarway. And I'm Lori Greer. <laughs> there thanks, we go. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now. 
for another edition of Behind 